Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. Uh, Today, I want you to think about all of the messages that you get throughout your day. If you're like me, you probably wake up to notifications on your phone. You have verbal messages that your children are yelling at you from another room. Uh, You have body language that you deal with every day. Text messages, probably with autocorrect fails. Uh, Voice messages. There's messages on billboards and YouTube ads. I've still got piles of messages from political parties hiding somewhere in the corners of my house. And all of these messages that come into you every day, you take them in, you interpret them according to your worldview, according to what you hope and what you know, and you fit all of these things together with your priorities so that you can sort them and consider them. And it all happens so fast that you probably are barely conscious that it happens at all. And as important as all of these messages are, today we're going to hear about an even more important message that is being spoken by God to Hezekiah and to us today. And these messages are so important that we interpret them rightly because all of our life literally depends on it. And today we're going to continue our study in Isaiah and we'll read about two messages that were given by God through Isaiah the prophet to Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem. And we'll have the privilege of hearing not just what those messages were, but how Hezekiah interprets those messages and why. It's also important to note where we are overall in the book of Isaiah today. Uh, Today's chapters mark a climax of the narrative section that's sort of right in the middle of Isaiah. And we're at, on your map of Isaiah on your outline, you'll notice that we're at the, the end of point one, letter D, in whom you will, in whom will you trust? And we're gonna conclude that today. So after today, we're gonna be back into the poetry section that marked much of this book. And interestingly, I want you to think about this question, in whom will you trust? as it relates to being delivered through a king. This, these chapters, I believe, are a flashback to an earlier moment in Hezekiah's life before the dramatic deliverance that we just experienced from Assyria in chapter 37. And I want you to think about why we are doing a flashback here as we answer this question, in whom will you trust, as it relates to kingship. So in Isaiah 38, we will see three, or we'll see four things. We'll see that the Lord will reveal his mercy. We'll see that Hezekiah will reveal his interpretation and his priorities. And then in Isaiah 39, we'll see Hezekiah reveal his treasures. And lastly, the Lord will reveal the future. So let's read Isaiah 38, 1 through 8, and see how the Lord reveals his mercy. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, Remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart 
and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the 10 steps by which it had declined. I'll talk about an emotional couple of verses. Hezekiah receives a word from God through the prophet Isaiah that he will die. But he responds in prayer, asking the Lord to remember his righteous deeds. And then God sends Isaiah back again with a new message that Hezekiah won't die, but in fact will live for another 15 years. And then on top of that, he gives a miraculous sign. So firstly, let's talk about some of the context here. In verse 6, the Lord is speaking to Hezekiah using future tense. He says, I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. This seems to imply that the setting for these events takes place before the events that we read of in chapter 37, which Tom preached on three weeks ago. In chapter 37, verse 36, we actually witness the miraculous and altogether glorious fulfillment of this prophecy. And I quote, The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. So where we are today in our chapter is actually taking place before that deliverance that we read about in chapter 37. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that the author of Isaiah is using this moment in the book after we've already heard about this deliverance to flash back to the events that we're studying today. But let's take another moment to consider the scene further. So Israel is under the threat from Assyria, the strongest nation in the world. No other nation has ever withstood their military might. And we know from Isaiah 36, stepping back even a little bit further, that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So where are we today? Hezekiah has been watching each one of his cities, one by one, be swallowed up. It's been a bad year for Hezekiah. According to Hezekiah 38.1, Hezekiah became sick and was to the point of death. That's been a bad week for Hezekiah. And the final stroke, Hezekiah's last hope, maybe the Lord will do a miracle, is pretty definitively crushed. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die. You shall not recover. And that is a bad day. But Hezekiah 
responds with prayer. This is absolutely the best possible response. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And my friends, Yahweh heard him. Verses 5 and 6. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the Assyrians and will defend this city. And in case Hezekiah could possibly have needed more, which in fact he did, which we see in verse 21 later, he explicitly asks for a sign and God gives him one. A miracle of the shadow on the sundial moving backwards. But why, Grace Fellowship, is this here? Why is this story at the climax of our discussion about relying on a king? Well, God was the one who sent the first message to Hezekiah in the first place. Wouldn't it have saved Hezekiah a lot of agony and suffering if God hadn't even sent him that first message and just skipped to the part where he says, I will deliver you? I believe the answer is all connected to why we are hearing this story today. In this narrative that we've already concluded, we know that God does miraculously deliver Hezekiah from the point of death by his illness. And he miraculously delivers Jerusalem from death at the hand of the Assyrians. And as king, Hezekiah represents his nation to God. Both the man and the kingdom are symbolically the same thing. Hezekiah is Israel. And God is reminding Hezekiah and the nation that there is No hope but in him. If you want to live, Hezekiah, then you better pray. And if you want the nation to live, then you better pray. Why does God promise death but then deliver mercy? Because he is teaching both the man and the nation... That the only way is through dependence on him. And we know that Hezekiah does pray both now when his life is threatened and in the moment when the city is threatened with utter destruction. Hezekiah does pray. And in fact, we hear the prayer that he prays later when Assyria is at his door. Let's jump back a moment to Isaiah 37 verses 15 through 20, and read his other prayer. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. 
And hear all the words that Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is a powerful prayer. The message that God is speaking in chapters 37 and 38 is that in desperate situations, the right response is to come to him in prayer. And we see that this is true for Hezekiah, whether faced in facing illness or facing a foreign power. And my friends, it's true for us today. Prayer is so powerful because it aligns us with the all-powerful God. So pray. And don't simply pray for your own glory, but pray for God's. Students, if you want to live, then pray. Pray for God to be glorified in your work now and in the future. Husbands, if you want to live, then pray. Pray for the strength to lay down your life for your wife and your family as Christ did for the church. Wives, if you want to live, then pray. Pray that your husbands would lead well. And that you would help them. And unbelievers, if you want to live, then pray. Pray that though God has promised death, he delivers life. When God promises death, the only response is for us to turn our face to him and pray for life. And that life is exactly what the Lord gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, without Jesus, the fate of every one of us in this room is death. But with him, we have not simply 15 more years like Hezekiah got, but we have eternal life. And this is the message that God is conveying in both Isaiah 38 and in Genesis and in Romans and in all of the Bible. So having seen this message that God is delivering to Hezekiah of mercy and having seen Hezekiah's amazing prayer for deliverance both in chapter 38 and in 37, Let's look at how Hezekiah interprets that message in the rest of 38. 
Read Isaiah 38, 9 through 21 with me. And we'll see how Hezekiah reveals his interpretation of the message that God is giving. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and recovered from his illness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I call, I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. Oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in all these things is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. And we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So after the miraculous delivery, Hezekiah responds by writing a psalm. Like King David 300 years earlier, Hezekiah writes a poem to be sung in the temple, remembering the great works of God in his life. Verse 20 says, the Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah hears the word of the Lord and he rightly interprets the message. He rightly interprets, in fact, the severity of his illness. He knew that he was going to die. Verse 10, I am consigned to the gates of Sheol. Verse 14, like a swallow or a crane, I chirp, I moan like a dove. He also rightly interprets that it, in fact, is the Lord who is the one who is orchestrating this sickness. Verse 12, like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. And that is the Lord. And lastly, 
Hezekiah rightly interprets who is his true deliverer. Verse 17. But in love, you have delivered me. You have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind my back. In fact, here we see that Hezekiah got it right. Here. His interpretation of this message, he gets right. And 2 Kings 18, 5 and 6 has this to say about Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. But he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. So Hezekiah has been moved by this near-death experience into a greater appreciation and a greater dependence on the Lord. Verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. The suffering that God brought on Hezekiah was for his own good because it taught him to rely on the Lord. Why did God promise death but deliver mercy and life? Because it taught Hezekiah to depend on the Lord. And it makes Hezekiah more grateful and understand God's mercy in a new way. But friends, this is hard. It's hard to hear God's messages. And it's hard to interpret them rightly. And I know that I myself often fall short here at many levels. Most often I fail right at the beginning to even hear the messages of the Lord in my life at all. I go about regular day-to-day life blind to the fact that God is saying anything at all to me in particular. But he is. Every day he is speaking in my life. And he is speaking in yours. And then even if I do hear God's message. Sometimes. I take that as a call. Not to depend on the Lord. But to depend on myself. I misinterpret God's message. To just do it better. To just get it right Ryan. But that's not his message. His message is one of dependence on him. How about you? How do you interpret the events of your life? Is the bitterness in your life meaningless? Or is it meant for your welfare? Who do you believe is responsible for saving your life? Is it your responsibility? Maybe to do enough good things that they outweigh the bad? Or do you depend wholly on God to bring life when death is deserved? These verses show that the great power in hearing the message of the Lord is in rightly interpreting it and depending on him for salvation. And we need to recognize this, friends, every day of our lives and in everything that we do. God is always speaking and he is always listening so pray 
But my friends, what happens if we do what I know I do so often? What happens if we then do hear the message of the Lord, but we interpret it wrongly? Let's read Isaiah 39 verses 1 through 4 and hear the account of when Hezekiah reveals his treasure. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent an envoy with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah, the prophet, came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon, he said. What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Are there any TV yellers in the room this morning? If you watch a suspenseful movie, you yell at the TV. No, 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 don't go there. Don't do that. Because you know something that the characters perhaps do not. Well, Isaiah 39 is going to drive you crazy. Because these verses are meant to feel like that. It's inevitable what's coming. And it's terrible. And you can't look away. This is why this story is situated at the climax of these narratives. We know from chapter 38 that God saved Hezekiah from death. And we know from chapter 37 that God saves Jerusalem from destruction at the hand of Assyria. But we also know from our position in history and as it's outlined in 2 Kings 24 and 25 that Israel spends 70 years in exile and captivity to Babylon. Do you feel the tension of what God has done and what is happening now? God saves. And yet Israel is not saved from Babylon when the time comes when Babylon comes to their gates just as Assyria did. And these two opposing facts that God saves and yet we know that this is coming is meant to be front and center in the minds of those of us who are hearing this story. We are meant to ask, what went wrong? On the surface, it makes perfect sense. Hezekiah has miraculously recovered and he has got to be literally the happiest man alive. To paraphrase verse 1, A king from far away has come hearing the story of this miracle and bringing Hezekiah a gift. Of course Hezekiah is going to be excited. 
To paraphrase verse 2, look, look, I'm alive. And God gave me life and he gave me all this stuff. Isn't it good to be alive? We know that Hezekiah is grateful and he's rightly grateful to the Lord. And yet our minds should be screaming, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do this thing. And perhaps that's because we know something that Hezekiah doesn't. We know what the far country Babylon will eventually do to Israel. Maybe Hezekiah didn't. If only Hezekiah knew, he would never be so foolish, right? If only he knew. Well, read with me Isaiah 39, 5 through 7, and see that the Lord, in fact, does reveal the future. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons, whom will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. What just happened? Hezekiah, no! The Lord spoke. He warned of death. But Hezekiah heard it and misinterpreted the message. Verse 8, there will be peace and security in my days. What? It seems like out of everything that the Lord said, Hezekiah only heard the first part of verse 7. And some of your sons who will come from you, whom you will have. What? If it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny, right? It's like a conversation that you have with a toddler. Guess what, son? Tomorrow, after you wake up, we're going to go visit your grandparents who you love. We're going to eat ice cream. They're going to give you presents. And the toddler responds, No! I don't want to go to bed now. They missed the point. And that is the problem. That Hezekiah, no matter how good of a king he is, is not a perfect king. Hezekiah hears the message of God, but he interprets it not as a warning of death, but as a promise of peace and comfort. No, how can God teach his people how to be dependent on him if they only care about their momentary existence and their own lives. This is why Israel needs to face more bitterness 
in the exile and captivity in Babylon. Because they don't have it perfect yet. And this is so heartbreaking because we know that Hezekiah could do better. The last prophecy that Isaiah delivered, Isaiah 38, 1. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. And what was Hezekiah's response? He wept bitterly. In Isaiah 38, 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. And when they were faced with the destruction from the Assyrian army, Isaiah 37, 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and he covered himself with sackcloth and he went into the house of the Lord. But here in chapter 39, Hezekiah doesn't pray. He doesn't beseech the Lord in his temple. He is silent. And not because God didn't speak. And not because Hezekiah doesn't know that God is powerful but because he misinterprets the message. He focuses only on the short term. Despite God saying, all that is in your house that your fathers have stored up will be carried to Babylon, Hezekiah says, so be it. Even if his offspring, as verse 7 says, shall be taken away, they shall be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. His lineage is literally cut off. Hezekiah says, so be it. And what a sad end to this story. But it reveals the aim of the entire book up until now. Hezekiah is a good king, but he is not a perfect king. Hezekiah makes mistakes. He misinterprets the message of God. Even Hezekiah, who we're told in 2 Kings, removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made that the people of Israel had been making offerings to. Even he can miss the point. And so regardless of how many miracles that the Lord does or how many times he speaks without a perfect king to put your trust in. It's not enough. And then this is what the rest of the book of Isaiah hinges on. It hinges on hope. Hope that after the judgment and after the exile, the holy seed that was promised in Isaiah 6 will be realized. That someone will come who will hear Perfectly, always. And someone will come who will rightly interpret always. And so will bring about life, even though death has been promised. That one day, a true servant of God will come and will put the will of the Father before everything else. Before his own comfort, before his friends and his family, before even his own life. This is the message that the Lord is giving. And my friends, this is Jesus Christ. He is the one who does it 
rightly, perfectly. And he will help us to interpret the messages of God. He will help us to interpret them in our lives. When God is speaking in your life, friends, we must have Jesus to interpret it rightly. Your career isn't about providing absolute security for your future. It's about depending on God every day for the grace to serve him well like Jesus Christ. And your hobbies aren't about giving you escape from an otherwise miserable world. They're about a loving father who is giving you good gifts to enjoy. And your good works aren't about outweighing your bad. But they're about acting in your role as an adopted son or daughter of God. And spreading God's message to others. Your suffering isn't about God failing to love you. It's about the exact opposite. And none of this is possible without the perfect king, Jesus Christ. Who hears the word of the Lord perfectly and perfectly interprets it and stands before us, stands before the Lord on our behalf. So to summarize these chapters, we've seen that the Lord reveals his mercy in his willingness to hear our prayers and to save his people from death, both personally and corporately. We've seen how hearing the message of God should lead us to depend greatly and a greater dependence on him and to pray. We've also seen that if we get this wrong, that we can be broken and the outcome is terrible. But the most important thing is that he is faithful to forgive us. And in fact, he has already sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a servant and as a king and as a conqueror, that he would suffer and die on our behalf, breaking the power of sin and death. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your words to Hezekiah. We thank you, God, for your work throughout history uh, in these Passages we hear, Lord, of how you are faithful to hear us in our desperation. Lord, please make us aware of our desperation every day in our lives, God. Make us aware that we are desperate and dependent on you. And Lord, let us turn not to ourselves in those situations, but to you, God, that you would deliver us. And Father God, we thank you for um, your son that he came to make this possible, that we could stand here today, not as those receiving death, but as those receiving life. Lord, thank you, God. Amen.